0: Welcome to COPcast. I'm Rumbi Chakamba, Associate Editor at DEVEX, and I've headed to Shamil Sheikh in Egypt for this year's United Nations Climate Conference. In this podcast series, we bring you inside the walls of the Blue Zone for a series of in-depth conversations with climate and development leaders, asking them the big questions. What's really needed to make meaningful progress towards climate goals and what role should the development community play to support that?
1: David Malpass has a a past where he has denied climate science, and I think that makes him unsuitable to lead the World Bank at this time.
0: At the 27th United Nations Climate Change Conference in Egypt, the calls for restructuring the multilateral development banks were echoing through the halls. With the hopes that with reforms, finance will flow more readily to low-income countries to allow them to green their economies and help their populations adapt to the changing world. In this episode of COPcast, DEVEC senior reporter Sarah Jerving sat down with Phyllis Katino, the new president and CEO of the Climate Reality Project, who emphasized one reform in particular – a switch-up in leadership at the World back.
2: Thanks so much for joining us, Phyllis. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Can
1: you talk a bit about what your organization does? Of course. Um, We were founded in 2006, um, and it was really Al Gore's vision to educate and to advocate. So we train and engage thousands of climate change reality leaders around the world to press for solutions to the climate crisis. really proud that we have more than 225 climate reality trained leaders here on the ground and uh, more than 30 staff and of course you may have seen the vice president has been here and um, had a big announcement today with climate trace so really pleased to be here
2: and what would you say are some of the strategies that you think are most effective in, in engaging people on climate
1: well, it's interesting. You know, we have 225, as I said, more than climate reality-trained leaders on the ground. So, you know, um, a, we have a, more than a million members globally. We have more than um, 50,000 of these climate-trained reality leaders who have gone through a training with the vice president and have learned not only about the science but also um, skills to to make sure they are the best advocates they can be and we see them as part of delegations there are climate reality leaders um, here who are elected leaders and are here in their official capacity Um, others that are advising delegations and so it's really exciting to see kind of what our activists are doing um, here on the ground in cop and we know that they need to take home those skills and they will take home those skills and pressure their governments but you know, our, our leaders are doing all kinds of innovative things. Our, our branch in Brazil, for instance, has passed um, a climate curriculum and it's being adopted in schools. So we're making sure that young people, as they grow up, understand about climate science and, and kind of the changes that need to be adopted. Um, we in the Philippines we have a 100% renewable campaign. Um, so each of our branches around the world and all of our chapters, more than 117 in the United States, 25 of them on college campuses, work in their own way to make progress. And so we're we're really excited. And um, and I think for us, you know, looking at that climate trace data. that that the Vice President um, released today is going to be really useful in in helping not only us as advocates, but other advocates to really see where emissions are coming from, um, you know, how we can do better.
2: And how would you like global climate activism to evolve in the coming years? Kind of what do you think needs to change?
1: So I think, you know, I've talked about 2030 as a deadline, and I think that as activists and advocates, we need to ramp up the intensity Um, Between now and 2030, um, if we're to be successful. And so that means pressure on the private sector, pressure on the public sector, Um, you know, policy needs to change, obviously, Um, you know, financing, as I've said. So, as activists, we really need to make sure that we're pushing hard on all, you know, across every sector of society to make the change that we need.
2: And what are you hoping come out of these discussions at COP27?
1: Well, I think it's clear that we're not doing enough in terms of our commitment um, or our work to hold warming to 1.5 degrees. And so there has to be a real focus on holding countries accountable for not only the pledges that they've made, but really to increase the ambition. Um, Otherwise, it looks like we're on track for a temperature increase of between 2.1 and 2.8 degrees. And of course, that's devastating. Um, so in addition to commitments around mitigation and lowering emissions, it's clear that we've really got to mobilize financial resources and so again that's not only commitments that have been made in terms of100 billion dollars a year to most vulnerable countries, but we really need to increase ambition there and un- and really unlock private financing as well. so another thing that we are hoping to come uh, to come out of the cop is kind of increased awareness and and advocacy around multi-development banks um, and the World Bank, of course, in particular as the preeminent multi-development bank.
2: And what sort of reforms would you like to see in the multilateral development banks?
1: Well, um, just looking at the World Bank, for instance, the first thing is they need to honor their commitment to only finance fossil fuels in the most extraordinary of circumstances. So between 2018 and 2020 alone, $18 billion of fossil fuel projects were financed. So first first of all, they have to honor their commitment not to finance fossil fuel projects, except again, in the most extraordinary circumstances. But also the the interest rates must be changed so that those resources are more available to developing nations. So we've really got to bring those rates down and, and unlock those resources. So, And then of course, Um, I think our chairman in the Climate Reality Project has been very clear that we'd like to see not only reform of the bank and its practices, but we'd also like to see um, a new leader of the World Bank. David Malpass has a a past where he has denied climate science, and I think that makes him unsuitable to lead the World Bank at this time.
2: Hi, I'm Kate Warren, Executive Editor at DevEx. If you are listening to this podcast you are likely working to achieve the sustainable development goals but are you subscribed to devx newswire global development can be a fast-moving complex sector our team of global reporters work every day to bring you the news you need to make sense of it all in devx newswire we keep you up to date on issues ranging from climate change financing to gender equality and global health to transforming the food system all in a fun-to-read free newsletter delivered directly to you five days a week. Join the hundreds of thousands of global development professionals who receive DevX Newswire and visit devx.com slash newsletters to sign up to this free newsletter today. And you mentioned that there needs to be an increase in uh private sector finance do you think what is kind of the role of the private sector at this cop and do you think there uh, is enough of a presence from the private sector
1: well I think the private sector uh, really two things one is the private sector needs to change and reduce its emissions too and again I'd I'd point you to um, climate trace and what the the vice president um, and the coalition uh, released in terms of kind of um, tracking emissions from all kinds of emitters across the, the globe really exciting ways that um, that policymakers can look at what's happening when it comes to emissions truly in their countries but also businesses could really track better track their emissions and change and so could consumers um, so I think you know private industry has a real role not only in again reducing their own emissions. Um, and speaking to their consumers about the need for, um, for attention to, to climate change. But also, you know, they've, they should absolutely, when it comes to finance, be financing more of the, the resilience and the development we need for those developing countries that are most impacted by climate change.
2: Uh, so there have been some important elections globally that have had impacts on the climate, such as in Brazil and Australia. Can you talk a bit about that? the significance of those?
1: Sure, we have been, the Climate Reality Project has been hard at work um, for years in Australia, and in Brazil, um, and of course in the United States. And those are three countries where we've seen um, significant progress, decades in the making. Um, so, um, you know, the, the election of Lula is so important in Brazil in terms of protecting the Amazon. So we're excited about the possibilities there um, for progress and for policy. Of course, Australia has recently increased its ambition significantly with the new plan, and then in my home com- country of the United States, the passage of the Inflation Reduction Act, which is the single largest investment in uh, the climate crisis. So, we've really—that's an exciting new development. We've got to really work to implement those funds and make sure um, that they're being used efficiently and effectively, and of course that those communities in the United States on. Um, the front lines of impacts, frontline and fence line communities are really getting the funding that they need and deserve.
2: And what, what more would you like to see out of the
1: Biden administration? Well, I think the Biden administration can um, obviously can do quite a bit with its executive authority, regulations and transport in, um, in appliances, in power. Um, and so we'd like to see aggressive action there. But also, you know, when it comes to, for instance, financing, right, um, reducing risk, um, and making sure that there are financing reforms, the Biden administration plays a key role. For instance, at the World Bank, um, and you know, I think the Sec- Secretary um, Yellen has been very clear about um, the desire for the World Bank to do more on climate. So we're we're really hoping that they'll keep up the pressure there um, in terms of financing. But um, you know. I think that this administration has been very pro-climate, deserves a lot of credit for all the actions that they've taken, and, um, and hopefully there's just going to be a whole lot more to come. Because again, time's wasting, right? It's, um, we're not on track to keep warming to 1.5 degrees, and um, 2030 is just around the corner. So aggressive action is needed not only in my country, the United States, but of course all around the world. Um, we are disappointed, of course, that China doesn't have... Um, China's leadership isn't here. Um, and so, obviously, they're a critical piece of the puzzle. So
2: many are hoping that this will be the implementation COP where the world transitions from talk to implementation. Are you seeing any signs here that that could be the case, or disappointed, or optimistic? What's your, what's your feeling?
1: Well, I mean, I think... I think that we can't lose hope, and again, that um, you know we we definitely see that countries need to do more implementing towards their goals, and they not only need to do that, but they need to increase ambition. Some countries have been doing that; other countries have not been updating their NDCs. Um, so I think you know we again we really need to keep the pressure up on these policymakers that are here, and it's. No, it's exciting to see how much civil society is here as always. Um, I, I noticed that we have the first ever climate justice, environmental justice pavilion, which is incredible progress. It's just wonderful to see all the programming that's going on there. Um, and I'm I'm thrilled because one of our one of Climate Reality uh, project board members, um, Dr. Bullard, has um, he and two other environmental justice leaders in the United States have really um, are spearheading that pavilion. So it's wonderful to see. Um, but uh, you know, as always, these 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 gatherings need to be about more ambition and honoring our commitments.
2: And what sort of changes to the Climate Reality Project can we expect under your leadership?
1: You know, we are a a global organization. I, you know, I think that we always need more climate-trained reality leaders, so um, I'm gonna be practicing what I'm preaching here today, which is that we, um, as an organization and our climate leaders around the world are gonna be amping up the intensity um, because we know, again, we only have so many years to hold warming to 1.5. Um, I think that we have really been focused on not only, um, you know, our global footprint but also key constituencies in countries um, and how they can really affect policy and, and um, address the crisis. And of course, for us, like, like for so many other NGOs, you know, really, um, climate justice is an imperative for us all.
2: Well, thank you so much for joining us, fellas. I really appreciate this conversation. Thanks, Sarah. I'm glad to be here.
0: Thanks for listening to Copcast. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please share it with others you think would be interested in it. You can also leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. If you have some feedback about this episode that you want to share, we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on social media at DevX and at Rumbi Chakamba underscore. Or you can drop us an email at podcast at devx.com.